What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to take a moment and think about the people that you consider your friends. And as you think about those people, I'm sure that you're going to recognize that you have different levels of uh, friendship with them. Uh, the person that you have the deepest level of friendship, I'm sure that you refer to them as your best friend or your closest friend. And then you kind of move down to, you know, you have good friends, you're still close with them, and you kind of have the, the casual friends that you're not so close with. And then you have acquaintances, and you might use the friend term with them, but the reality is you're not really friends with them in any real sense of the word. And the thing I want you to think about uh, is what makes someone, you know, your best friend versus versus your good friend, versus your casual friend, versus your acquaintance? What, what is it that, that you, in your own criteria, you know, determine whether this person is going to be the best friend or whether this person is going to be the good friend, uh, and so on and so forth? And you know, I would imagine that most of us would say, you know what, the more someone loves us would definitely be in that criteria of what makes them you know, closer to that best friend category, uh, the more that we can trust them, the more loyal they are, the more dependable they are, the more that they're willing to sacrifice uh, for our benefit. I mean, all those things would probably be in that criteria of what kind of moves people up the ladder from acquaintances to ultimately best friends. And, um, you know, so there are certain things that people can do uh, for us and to us and certain things that they can't do that ultimately help us to determine, you know, where they're at in our friendship uh, categories. And I would imagine that ultimately all of us would love to have more of those best friends, more of those people that fit that loving, loyal uh, category that are just willing to sacrifice, they're trustworthy, they're all those characteristics that we value greatly in friendship. But I think the reality is that, you know, a lot of us have many friends and kind of more of the casual friendship and, and probably fewer in that good, close, personal, best friendship range. Um, and I hope that all of us really in our own friendships want to be those people that are considered that good friend that loyal friend, that trustworthy friend, that dependable friend, that, that person who's going to sacrifice for others, that we would say, you know what, I don't have that many, or maybe I do in my life, but I surely want to be that to other people as I befriend them. Now, the reason I've started by sharing these things about friends is because as we come now to John chapter 15, and we started it last week, we're in the middle of it now, you know, Jesus is going to be revealing something to his disciples that was really just an amazing truth for them to understand and to hear, and that is that he is their friend and they are his friends. And this would have been... Uh, 
not have been the, the type of relationship the disciples would have expected in becoming Jesus's disciples. You know, the, the uh, common expectation of that time would have been, okay, you're the rabbi and we're the disciple, which would be more like you are the teacher and we're the student. And also there would be an aspect of it where you are the master and we are the slaves. So, so those would have been the, the relationships they would have been thinking about. If we're coming into this where Jesus is our teacher and we're his servant. Jesus is the master uh, and we're the, the servant of that. And I'm sure all of us have had teachers in school. And hopefully we've had at least one, even better if we've had many, where you had a teacher that just really loved you, really cared about you. You know, they were just a great teacher. They invested a lot in you. But I'm going to guess that no matter how loving they were to you, no matter how much they poured into you, no matter how much you liked them, you probably never left the teacher-student relationship. You probably never said, you know what, we've gone from teacher-student to friends, good friends, maybe even best friends. You know, typically in those things, those relationships just stay that way. It's just like, you know what, you were a great teacher in that teacher-student relationship, but you never transferred over into this other category of, wow, you're now teacher friend, uh, that typically just doesn't happen. And so in the same way that the disciples wouldn't have been expecting this friendship type of relationship with Jesus, he was more going to be that teacher rabbi, that master. And so as he reveals to them, no, 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 I have something more intimate, more personal with you guys. You are my friends. This would have been mind boggling. This would have been a big deal to the disciples. And you know what? It should be a big deal to you and I as well. Well, because the reality is all of us who put our trust in Jesus, he calls us his friends as well. Jesus is the most loving, trustworthy, loyal, dependable, sacrificial friend that any of us could ever have. And based on the loving way that Jesus treats us, we should all desire to make him our best friend. Like Jesus, you're the one that I want more than anyone else to be the best friend in my life. So definitely Jesus is a great friend to us. But one of the things I really want us to consider this morning, because it's something that Jesus is going to spend a lot of time with, is what kind of friend are you to him? He's a great friend to you, whether you deserve it or not. But the question is, what kind of friend are you to Jesus? Now, we already mentioned we have our own criteria of what we determine. You know, you're a good friend because you're loving and you're loyal, you're dependable, you're sacrificial. Whatever your criteria is, that's what base, uh, we base whether someone is a casual friend or a good friend or a best friend. But you know what? Jesus has a criteria as well. And we need to understand that criteria so we can determine where am I at? Am I a good friend according to Jesus? Because I might think, oh, I'm a great friend to Jesus. And Jesus might be, no, you're actually not that good of a friend. And so according to Jesus's criteria, what kind of friends are we? And that's the good thing about what we're going to look at here in John chapter 15, that Jesus is going to share two things that you and I as his friends should do. If you want to be a good friend of Jesus, these are the two things. There's more than this, but these are definitely two foundational things that Jesus says, my friends do these two things. And so if you want to be a good friend of Jesus, these are things that you should have in your life. And if you don't have them in your life, guess what? You're not a good friend of Jesus. And don't just leave here content with that. Recognize, you know what? I need to change. I want to go from being that casual or maybe even that acquaintance to Jesus to being a good friend of Jesus. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just talk about that because friendships aren't one-sided. 
it's not just what we do for him, but also what he does for us. So he's going to talk about, you know what, there are two things that if you're a friend of Jesus, you will do. But then he goes on to say, you know what, I'm your friend, and there are two things that I do for my friends. And so we're going to see two things we should do for Jesus if we're good friends for him. And we're going to see two things that Jesus does for us as our friend. So if you want to be a close, good friend to Jesus, these are two things you need to understand so that you can apply, and hopefully two things that will encourage you that Jesus does for you. And so that's what I want this morning. I want to encourage you with what Jesus does for us as our, his friends, but also challenge you with two things that we should do if we want to be good friends for Jesus. So let's start with looking at what Jesus says here. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17, and we'll see these two things we should do and two things that Jesus has done for us. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. You know, Jesus starts with and ends with kind of the most important thing that he brings up here. If you're my friend, here's one of the most important things that friends of me do. And notice he starts in verse 12 by saying, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he finishes in verse 17 by saying, these things I command you, that you love one another. So start and end. You guys, you want to be a friend of mine, you need to love one another. is isn't the first time that Jesus said this. Remember back in chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so Jesus is reiterating that truth. Before it was, here's the commandment to you disciples. And now he's saying, for you to be a good friend of mine, you need to be someone who loves others as I have loved you. Now, Jesus loved the disciples and us in all sorts of wonderful ways. And we kind of looked at that in a more general perspective back in chapter 13. But now Jesus gets a little more specific. You know what? Love like I love you. And there is a way that you can love that is the greatest way possible. There's a lot of good ways to love. There's even a lot of great ways to love. But there is a greatest way to love as well. And notice what Jesus says is the greatest demonstration of love that we can show to someone else. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. So Jesus is saying, hey, the greatest way to show someone that you love them is to be willing to give your life, to die for them. Adam Clark wrote this about what Jesus says here. No man can carry his love for his friend farther than this. For when he gives up his life, he gives up all that he has. See, the reason this is the greatest demonstration of love is because you are sacrificing what is most valuable to you. When we look at the cross and we think, you know, what could God do to demonstrate how much he loved? Well, what could God offer us? And he says, I offer you what is most valuable to me. I offer you myself. That's what you have. Your life is the most valuable thing that you could give to someone. And so Jesus is saying the greatest demonstration of love is that you are willing to lay down what is most valuable to you. 
what is most precious, your own life, for the benefit of someone else. So when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends, he's actually communicating two important things that I want us to note here. First, he's communicating what we just pointed out, that the greatest way you can love someone is to die for them. And the second thing he's communicating is how much he loves us. So in in this statement, he's, he's revealing not only, hey, this is how you love someone in the greatest way, but guys, I'm about to do this for you. And so I am going to be the one demonstrating how much I love you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life on the cross for us and showed the greatest love that he could possibly show. John, in writing in 1 John, says something very similar. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the greatest way to know if someone truly loves you is if they lay down their life for you. And the best way for us to demonstrate love for others is to be willing to give our lives for someone else. Now, there are two different ways that you can lay down your life for someone. The first way is the one that's probably coming to your mind right now, to physically lay down your life, to physically die for them. And we hear examples of this kind of extreme thing. You know, maybe, you know, there's your child running in the road and you see a car coming and you run out there and you push the child out of the way and you get run over by the car instead of them and you ultimately literally physically die in their place. Or a burglar breaks in your house and they're about to shoot your loved one and you jump in front of them and you take the bullets and you physically die for them. And so there's that aspect of, yeah, if you physically die for them, what a great demonstration of love. That's a way that you could lay down your life for them. But you know, that's one of the ways that you could do that. The second way you could lay down your life for them is not just to physically die, but actually to, I would say, we could use different terms. Let's just use the term emotionally die for them. You see, something interesting to note here in this Greek word that is translated life when it says lay down your life It's not the word usually translated in the Greek, which would normally be translated biological life, so physically dying. It's actually the word that's more commonly translated soul. And soul in Scripture is that place where your emotions, your affections, your desire, your will are. And so it would not be a stretch in any way, shape, or form to say that, you know what? You could lay down your life by laying down, dying to those desires, to your will, to the things that, you know, we're so unwilling oftentimes to give up for someone else. To say, well, you know what? Your desires now are are more significant than mine, so I'm going to lay down what I want and do what you want. Your will is more important, so I'm going to lay down my will and do your will. And for those of us who are married, we recognize, you know what, this is essential if you want a relationship to work. If you're always demanding your way, your will, your desires, the selfish kind of, it's my way or the highway mindset, it doesn't work. You know, there has to be a willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my desires and my will for your benefit. We're going to do what you want, not just always do what I want. And so definitely, this is one of those ways that you can daily lay down your life. And I think if you do this, powerful things happen. But the reality is, I would say all of us would say, you know what, if my child or my spouse or my loved one was in a road and a car was coming, we wouldn't think twice about giving our life for them or jumping in front of a a bullet. But you know what? Sometimes we do struggle when it comes to this other aspect of saying, will I daily die to my will? Will I daily die to my desires? Or will I put someone else's interests above my own? 
Oh, well, I'll get in front of a bullet for them, but I'm not going to, you know, lay down my interest for them. And it's just kind of, it's easier sometimes for that one time act of sacrifice versus that daily sacrifice of giving up these things for someone else. But they're both wonderful demonstrations of love. Now, there's something else I want us to note here concerning this command to love one another as Jesus loved us. This command isn't just telling us how to love if you're a friend of Jesus. It's also telling us who to love if you're a friend of Jesus. You see, Jesus' friends love Jesus' friends. If you're a friend of Jesus, you're going to love the people that Jesus is friends with. And this shouldn't be something that's surprising to us because that's a reality for anything that we have a relationship with. You know, if you have friends and some other person isn't friends with your friends, it's hard to stay friends with them. You know, I remember in high school, you know, I had friends who were kind of the athletic friends that I played sports with. And I had uh, some other friends that, that weren't athletic at all. Uh, and so you kind of, in high school, you know, you typically have that divide in, in those two groups. But I would sit and eat lunch uh, with some of my non-athletic friends. And I remember one guy, you know, just coming and just belittling them and making fun of them. And, you know, just because they're not athletic and different things. And I just kind of pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, if you want to stay friends with me, these are my friends. You can't treat them that way and stay friends with me. And he was like, you know, I'll treat them however I want. I was like, well, fine. You can't stay my friend if you're not going to treat my friends the way that they deserve to be treated. And so that's the bottom line is like, oh, Jesus, I want to be your friend. I just don't want to be friends with the people that you love. She so say, no, you got to love my friends if you want to be a good friend to me. So the first thing that we should do as friends of Jesus is love those that Jesus loves in the same way he loves us by willing to lay down our lives for them. If you want to be a good friend of Jesus, don't forget, you got to love other believers who Jesus loves, who are friends of Jesus. You know, I talk with many believers. I was here at one point in my own Christian life. I am quite happy to be a friend of Jesus, quite happy to love Jesus, but not so happy to love those that Jesus loves. Not so happy to love other believers because, hey, yeah, it's easy to love Jesus because he's so lovable. It's not so easy to love some of Jesus' friends which are you and me, because you know what? We're not so lovable sometimes, but Jesus is saying, you know what? You want to be a good friend to me? Love the people that I love. So the first thing that we should do as Jesus' friends is let those that Jesus love, love those, sorry, that Jesus loves in the same way he loves us by being willing to lay down our lives for him. The second thing we should do as Jesus' friends is in verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Notice Jesus makes something very clear. My friends do what I command them to do. My friends obey my commands. So let's just make real clear. If you're not willing to obey Jesus, do not say you're a good friend of Jesus because you're not. Those who aren't willing to obey Jesus are not a good friend of Jesus because Jesus makes very clear. You're my friend if you obey what I command you to to do. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, some think it's quite su uh, sufficient if they avoid what Jesus forbids. Abstinence from evil is a great part of righteousness, but it's not enough for friendship. Yeah, I think this is that sometimes, you know, I'm just going to avoid this sin, avoid that sin, and that's good, but 
I'm not going to actually obey Jesus in the areas of my life where he's challenging me to do this and to do that and to do that. And, and so there needs to be this reality that obedience is a part of true friendship with Jesus. Now, Jesus has already told the disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. And now he's just kind of sharing it from a different perspective. If you're my friends, keep my commandments. But you know what? They go hand in hand because if you're truly a friend of Jesus, then you love him. So that loving friendship should be the driving force and motivation for why we obey Jesus. And I think that's important to note. Like, what is that relationship that Jesus is making this command in? Because typically when we think of, you know, obedience, we usually think of the master-servant relationship. Masters demand obedience. Servants are the ones who are supposed to give obedience. But, but notice here, you know, that's not the relationship in which Jesus is asking for obedience. It's one of friendship and Love, And we need to note this because the motivation for the master-servant obedience is very different than the motivation of the friendship obedience. Because you know what? If a master tells a servant to do something, they usually do it out of obligation or out of duty or maybe just out of fear of what the repercussions might be. And for all of us who have bosses at work, we should be quite aware of this. I'm sure that most of us are not friends with our boss, and we do what we're told to do out of obligation, duty, or fear of the repercussion of being fired. Uh, and so that is kind of what motivates the obedience to our boss. But you know what? If you had a coworker who you were a close friend with, and they asked you to do the same thing your boss asked you to do, guess what? There would be a different motivation. It's not duty it's not obligation. It's not because I'm going to get fired because my friend doesn't have the ability to do that anyway. I'm doing it because I love them. That's what's motivating. I have a love relationship with them, so I do it for a very different reason. And so you could, have, you could do both the same things, but yet towards your boss, the motivation is very different than towards your friend. And so this is something I think we need to understand as we approach our relationship with Jesus is realizing, hey, he's saying, as my friend, as that person who loves me, Obey me. Not as your boss, not as your master, which he is, but yet not. that shouldn't be the motivation of him doing it out of duty. I'm doing it because I'm scared he might you know, do something bad to me if I don't. But that, no, in that loving relationship I have with him, I choose to do it because he's my friend and I want to. And I think the reality is if you don't approach it that way, if your motivation is more of that master, you know, it's a duty, I just do it out of fear of what's going to happen, it's going to be really hard for you to stay obedient to Jesus. That's a hard thing to stay motivated with. But if you can be motivated as we should, out of love, out of that friendship, then when Jesus commands things, it's a very different reason for why I obey. I want to, not I have to. I love him, and so I want to please him, not I'm afraid of him, so I'll do what he says. And there's very different perspectives that will definitely impact whether or not you're efficient and effective in obeying Jesus. So the second thing that we should do as Jesus' friends is do whatever Jesus commands with the loving motivation of a friend. That should be the heart. Lord, I'm your friend, and so I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it by doing what you command me. So Jesus has started here with two things that we should do as his friends, and now he's going to show this isn't just this one-sided relationship. Let me share with you two things that I'll do for you who are my friends. The first thing Jesus does for his friends is in verse 15. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus here is making very clear, guys, there is a change that is so wonderful that maybe you weren't aware of or weren't anticipating. We're moving from master-servant relationship to friend relationship. I no longer call you servants. I now call you guys my friends. And what a wonderful change. I mean, we're blessed just to have Jesus as our master. You know, to serve the greatest master there is, is a wonderful thing in itself. But for Jesus to say, you know what? I'm going to take you guys to a whole different level, a whole different relationship, one of much more intimacy and awareness and understanding. We're moving from master-servant to friendship. And this is what he's revealing here to the disciples And notice Jesus goes on to reveal, well, what's the main difference between this master-servant relationship versus that friend relationship? Jesus says, a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You see, typically at that time, in the master-servant relationship, the servant would have no clue why the master's doing what he's doing, what the master intends He's just kept in the dark. If the master says, you know what, I need you to go and I need you to set a table for 25 people coming over for dinner. He doesn't explain who's coming, why they're coming. He just expects the servant, just go do it. I don't need to give you any more information. I can keep you in the dark. I just tell you the basic command and you go and do it. The what's and the why's and the how's, that's not for you to know. And that's the typical relationship that you have between the servant and the master. But that's not the same with friends. Friends don't keep each other in the dark. Friends don't keep secrets from each other. You know, if you look at who's my best friend, I can bet you that's the person that you are most open with and they are most open with you. You know, you have that deep, intimate relationship where you are just like, I am transparent. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not keeping secrets from you. Now, acquaintances, you might not so much, but that shows the kind of friendship you have because true friends have that open communication. And this is what Jesus is revealing here of, hey, guys, We're moving from servant to friendship because I'm no longer, I'm not going to keep you in the dark. I'm going to make known to you all the things that the Father has shared with me. So guys, I'm going to let you know stuff. And he's letting them know stuff they don't even want to hear. He's telling them about his death. He's telling them about things that they're they're resisting. But he's still, hey, I'm going to be open with you guys. You're my friends. I'm not just telling you what you should do as a master does to his servant. I'm letting you into why you should do it, how you should do it what's going on with it, why it's important for it. I'm communicating these things because you guys are my friends. You know, this is such a wonderful thing that Jesus does for his disciples, but it's also a wonderful thing he does for us, that he shares with us the truths that you and I, that we need to know, that we need to know so that we can know more of him, that we need to know so that we could live for him. He's like, I'm not going to keep you guys in the dark. I'm going to reveal these important truths to you, and one of the best ways that he does that is through his word. Second Peter 1.3 tells us this, Jesus' divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. It's all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus said, I've given it to you. I'm your good friend, and I allow you to come into that knowledge of these wonderful things that pertain to life and godliness. So the first thing Jesus does for his friends is he's open with us and shares all the truth we need to know. 
And that should be a huge blessing. That, you know, we're not just in that servant category. We're always wondering, like, what's God doing? Why is God doing it? And I'm not saying that there aren't some mysteries out there, but the main things that we need to know, God's making them clear. The main things we need to know about Him, He reveals it. The main thing He wants us to do with our lives, He, he reveals that to us. And so what a blessing it is that we're in that friend relationship where God reveals these truths to us. The second thing Jesus does for His friends is verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Something important to understand is back in that time, the common practice was that you, if you wanted to be a disciple of some rabbi, that you would investigate the rabbis. You would understand, you know, kind of their, you know, whatever, uh, kind of schooling, where they were at and things. And that you would make the choice to say, I want to follow that guy. Kind of like what we do with colleges today. You know, you look at the different colleges, you look at what they offer, you look at what they cost, and then you kind of come back and you say, you know what, I'm going to apply at this one and this one and this one because I am choosing to go here. So it was the choice of the disciple to pick the rabbi, not vice versa. But here Jesus is making real clear, that's not how it worked with you and I. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus came to each one of these guys and he chose them and he asked them to follow him. And most of these guys were quite shocked about that because they were not people that typical rabbis would even want to have as a disciple. I mean, tax collectors, nope, you're automatically not going to be a disciple. Fishermen, yeah, you guys are kind of dumb, uneducated. You're not going to be a disciple. You know, there's all these groups that typically wouldn't have even been chosen. And so they were really surprised when a rabbi comes to them and does the opposite since they're supposed to come to him. And he says, follow me. But the thing you need to understand is there was a choice on their part, but it started with Jesus. Jesus had to first choose them, first give them the opportunity, ask them to follow him, but he didn't force it. They then had to make that choice to say, yes, I will leave all and follow you. Yes, I will choose to follow you with my life. And the same is true for us. Jesus chose you. He chose to die for you. He asked you to accept him. He asked you to follow him. He asked you to make him Lord of your life. But you know what? He doesn't force it upon you. He did the choosing. He did the dying. He did all the work for you. But then he says, you know what? You have to willingly choose to follow me. Choose to accept me. And once we make that choice, it's a wonderful, greatest choice we can make. You know, I've heard people say, I found Jesus. There's even a song that says it. But the reality is he was never lost. We were. He isn't the one that needed to be found. We were the ones that needed to be found. He found us. We didn't find him. For those of you with a military background, maybe this analogy would be good. All of us were drafted. None of us enlisted. He drafted us. We didn't enlist and say, hey, I'm going to fight this. No, he's the one who did the work, and we just responded to it. Oftentimes, we try to put on a show we try to look better for people because we think, you know what, if someone knew what was really going on in me, if someone knew my past, if someone knew my thoughts, if someone knew my sins, they wouldn't want to befriend me. They wouldn't want to be close to me. They wouldn't want to be my best friend. And so we kind of put on that show and we put on that mask and we want to look better than we really are. But here's the great thing. Jesus knows everything about you and he still chose you. He knows every sin you have committed, are committing, will commit. He knows everything about your life, and he still says, you know what? I want you to be my friend. 
I want you to be in a relationship with me. I choose you knowing full well who you are and what you've done. And what an amazing blessing for us that he would choose us who do not deserve that choice. But notice that Jesus doesn't just choose us. We're told that he also appointed us for something. The word appointed in the Greek means to set forth or establish something. So Jesus has set forth, he's established something. So not only does he choose you, but he's like, I have, I've set forth, I've established something for you to do. And notice what it is, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. What a wonderful thing. I don't even just choose you. I have appointed you. I have established something for you. What is it? That you should bear fruit that remains. Now, last week we looked at this important thing about bearing fruit and needing to abide in Jesus and the significance of that. But Jesus is saying, hey, that's what I've appointed for you. As I chose you, this was my heart desire for you. I have a plan for you. And that plan is that you would bear fruit that remains. And not fruit that's just going to you know, get rotten. No, fruit that remains for eternity. That's going to be something for Jesus that lasts forever. You know, Jesus is our friend. And guess what? Friends want the best for you. Jesus wants the best for you. He wants the best for your life. And he says, I have appointed something that's so much better than any plan that you have, than any desire that you have, than any direction that you have. And if you will just follow the appointed plan that I have for you, you're going to bear fruit that remains. But here's the thing. Just like Jesus chooses us but doesn't force us to respond to that, he appoints us to a wonderful life of bearing fruit, but he doesn't force us to follow that. You can say, you know what, Jesus, I want to do my own thing. I want to follow my own path. I'm glad that you have this, this plan for my life, but you know what? I already had my own plan. I got my own goals. I got my own future planned out and what I'm going to do. And so sometimes we start pursuing those things. And the problem is, those aren't the things that bear fruit. Those are the things that, that ultimately bear the fruit that God has planned for us because we're rejecting what he wants to do in our life. And the greatest thing that we can do is just die to our own will die to our own plans, die to our own future that we had maybe thought of for years and say, Jesus, whatever you have for me, I know is better. Your will for me, I know is better. Your plan for me, I know is better. And so I'm going to submit to that and be confident that what you say is true, that it's going to cause me to bear fruit that remains. You know what? Jesus will give you all you need to follow that plan. You just got to choose to say, I'll do it. I know the power of the Spirit's with me. I know that you have all things that pertain to life and godliness at my disposal. And so I will move forward with following what you have for me. So the second thing Jesus does for his friends is he chooses us and appoints us to bear fruit that remains. So in these verses, we see a wonderful thing about friendship with Jesus. These challenges of, of what we should do for him and these encouragements of what he does for us. As a friend of Jesus, we are challenged to love those that Jesus loves in the same way he loves us by willing to lay down our lives for them and to do whatever Jesus commands us with a loving motivation of a friend. And as Jesus' friends, we should be encouraged of what he does for us, that he's open with us, shares all the truths we need to know, and he chooses us and appoints us to bear fruit that remains. You know, as you thought of those friends at the very beginning, when I said, think of those friends, and I'm sure maybe best friends came to mind, but you know what? There's no greater friend than Jesus. 
He's the most amazing friend that any of us could have. And he demonstrates that so powerfully through the way in which he treats us, through the character that he has. And I just want to encourage you and encourage myself as we look at his example of friendship to us. Let's seek to be those types of friends to others. I mean, there's a lot of miserable friends out there. I'm sure you've had them in your life many times. People that are like, why am I friends with this person? They just always are so unloving and rude and hard. And, you know, but you know what? Let's not be that person in someone else's life. Let's be that loving and loyal and dependable and godly and encouraging friend that someone's like, man, I don't know what I'd do if you weren't in my life. Because that's what hopefully we would say about Jesus. I don't know what I'd do if Jesus wasn't in my life. Well, let's be those people that others say that about us as well, that we are that kind of friend that builds them up and encourages them and blesses them. And if that's not you and some of the relationship you have, they say, Lord, help me to change. I want to be a good friend, not just in this one area with my best friend, but in all my friendships, I want to be that good, godly friend like Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. So grateful for all the different things that you say about us and the relationships that we have. Master, servant, you're the best master in the world. Father, son, you're the greatest father there is, but that you would call us friends. It's just such a a mind-boggling thing because we surely do not deserve it, but we are so grateful for it. And Lord, I just pray not only that we would be encouraged by the fact that you are our friend and that you are the greatest friend anyone could have, that you would really help us be good friends to you. That we would seek to apply not only these two wonderful truths, but the many other truths in the Bible that show this is what a true friend of Jesus does. This is how a true friend of Jesus conducts himself. Lord, help us to be good friends to you, like you are a good friend to us. And as you share, Lord, if we truly are your friends, we're going to love one another. We're going to love the people that you love. And so maybe we're doing a great job in you know, befriending you, but not so good in befriending those that you love. And so I just pray especially within our own church and our own body of believers, Lord, that we would be the great friends, the loving friends to one another, that we would just have a a wonderful, deep, intimate relationship with each other that would just be a blessing and that would be ultimately just guided by you and that we would follow the example of you. So we ask that this week as we go forth, that we would just be reminded of that wonderful friendship that we have with you, that we would seek to deepen it, that we seek to live out the things that you tell us to do, and that we would seek to be good friends to others as well. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.